Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we're in a series called Mother Kirk, and Kirk, again, is the Scottish word for church. And Mother Kirk was a literary figure in C.S. Lewis's allegory, The Pilgrim's Regress. And so we're kind of just talking about this thing, the church that God created. And what we did uh, two weeks ago was we kind of just said the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. It's his design and it's his will that we would get connected to a local church, a local body of Christ. And then last week we came back and we talked about a couple things. We talked about uh, views on church services and, and we can go off the deep end on one side um, and kind of try and spank people with a, a sermon and just like always overdo it. And we can go off the deep side on the other end by just trying to amuse them too much to where there's really no point in coming to church. There's nothing to say. And we kind of said, hey, the church should be relevant and we ought to be kind of in the middle of those. The wise man avoids uh, all extremes and we ought to speak truth, but be normal. Okay, it's kind of where we were at. But we also talked about some other things, like it's easier to, to say what Jesus said than do what Jesus did. And we began to look at some of the messy sides of church. And so week one is the church is God's plan A. And last week, we kind of looked and realized that the church isn't perfect. It's made up of people, right? So hopefully today, we can now bring it back with a realistic view um, and be able to, to do like we sang in that song just now, say yes to God and his plan, even though it's not the ideal, even though it's not perfect, um, that we would be able to embrace the church and his plan for that. So again, this series is built around questions that people emailed me, and we're just going to dive right in. This was a question that someone emailed specifically about Antioch, and it's this, how is Antioch structured? How is Antioch as a church structured? So uh, a couple things. It's an autonomous church. Autonomous meaning there's no outside organization or group of people or individuals that can control us, tell us what to do, um, and yank us around. We are autonomous. We are um, our own church. But we also see the strategic value of partnering with other churches. And so Antioch is partnered with other churches because we believe that uh, two are better than one. And we believe that um, it just kind of makes it like family when you do that. So we are partnered and are pursuing more strategic partnerships with other churches. Uh, because we're autonomous and we are our own church, we are an elder-run church, which means that I am responsible to and I report to uh, an elder board. Our elder board is made up of two men, two other men other than myself right now, Mike Hockman and Rick Gerhardt. And we're going to be adding a couple others in the near future here. And when we do that, we're going to try and really get all of them front and center so that um, you can bring all your complaints to them so that I don't have to hear them. Um, honestly, there's really not a lot of complaints. Um, and when we do bring some more men to add to that elder board, we're going to have a position paper that Mike and Rick are working on right now that will explain in depth all the facets of eldership at Antioch. Um, so you guys will be able to have that. So we're an elder-run church. Uh, I also have a church planting council uh, that's made up of a couple of men. Um, Bill Clem from the Acts 29 Network. Uh, Jeff Vanderselt, who's the pastor at Soma Church in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Rick McKinley, who's the pastor of Imago Day Community in Portland. And then Luke Hendricks, who's the director of Church Next for CB Northwest. And those four guys... I uh, have been my church planting council there for advice, uh, ideas, and just to bounce things off of. 
Um, and so we've got that as well, just giving us wisdom as we kind of go into this. Um, trying to think. Other things. Uh, we're working off of a budget that those elders and the, the council, church planting council, have approved. It's a tough thing because we have no history and no giving track record, so we're doing the best we can. And when we come up with a new budget in December for the following year, we'll have another position paper on how we handle that. But see, I've got till December to figure that out, so uh, no worries there. Uh, but that's just a little bit about how Antioch is structured. Um, and the big idea here is we want to keep it simple and effective and efficient, and there shouldn't be a lot of crazy hoops and red tape and all sorts of things you have to do just to be able to minister. So here's a little um, video of kind of how I see that. So, PC? Yeah, it's all this trial software. They pack my hard drive full of it, all these programs that don't do very much unless you buy the whole thing or are just plain useless. Oh, it really slows me down. <sighs> you know how it is. Oh, actually, I don't. Max just come with the stuff you want, like iTunes, iMovie, iPhoto, iWeb. It's all part of iLife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you Let's ready? Let's just do this, okay? Okay. Hello, I'm I, Max. I, I forgot something. So that's kind of how it should be. We, I, I think church should be cut down and simple because, again, like we said uh, you know, last week, it ought to be like a movement, um, not just a camp where you got all sorts of crazy things going on. I've learned a long time ago that you get more arguments when you pitch the tents and set up camp than you do when you're on the trail walking. Does that make sense? You squabble more when you're in camp than when you're on the trail walking. So I've kind of always thought, you know, church ought to be like we're on the trail. And we're heading out. So that's how Antioch structured. Next question. We'll just keep flying along here. When is it okay to go to a new church? This is a big thing because um, there's times when you need to go to a new church. There's also times when uh, we can end up bouncing around or we have friends that bounce around um, without really the, the right reasons. And so here's a question that I got that two people asked me. When is it okay to go to a new church? And I'll just give you four tests. And the first one is this. The doctrine, the doctrine, what are they teaching, what do they believe? In 2 Timothy, Paul says this, he says, as advice to young Timothy, the pastor of this congregation, he says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. What Paul's saying is that, the, the actual congregation will leverage power and control in different ways to actually draw to them teachers that are going to kind of tell them what they want to hear. So they're going to create a God that they want, not the God that there is. And then they're going to gather around them teachers that will talk to them about that God that they want, not the God that is. And that's not okay. Um, it's just, it's, it's not truth. And truth is important. And so the first test is the doctrine. If the doctrine isn't sound, then you shouldn't be at that church. The second thing is the leaders or the leader. And Paul says this also to Timothy. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Not just the doctrine, but the life of those who are teaching it and leading the congregation is important. It says in James that not many should endeavor to be teachers because they're going to incur a stricter judgment. Because you have to not be a hypocrite. 
It's got to be commensurate. What people see is what they ought to get. And so if you find out that the leaders are not leading well, here's a, a verse I think we've got it on the screen that Jesus kind of threw at the leaders of his day and said this. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I mean, it's one thing to have like your friend call you that, but to have Jesus call you that is crazy. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And if the leader of a church is shutting the door uh, to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, well, you shouldn't be there. And you handle it right. You, you do like Matthew 18 says. You first go to that person and say, you know, I might have it wrong. There's two sides to every story. Help me out here. Um, what's going on? And if that doesn't work, you go to the elders and you say, listen, I'm seeing this. What's going on? And if that still doesn't work, you, you tell it to others. But eventually, if, the, if it doesn't change, then you leave. You don't just get mad at a leader and kind of say, you, you're a hypocrite and Jesus wouldn't like you, and so I'm going to go to another. You, you work through problems, but if eventually there's an issue over a period of time or a big enough issue just immediately um, that just compromises the leadership, then you shouldn't be there. The next one is this, your gifts. Your gifts. You're a part of the body of Christ. If you're not able to use your gifts to bless the body, that's what you're created to do, then you're being stifled. And you have every right to leave and go somewhere where you can use your talents and your gifts and your passion and your heart and your experiences, um, your expertise, where you can use that. Now, here's the the kicker and and the qualification on it is this. Um, I was thinking about it, and, you know, if people are wincing when you're singing, then that's not your gift, okay? Um, And I, I think that sometimes, here's how I put it, sometimes... We pursue what we want to do rather than what we're called to do, okay? We go after things that maybe seem glamorous or exciting, but they're not the things that Jesus made us for, okay? And so you can't just say, oh, you know, they won't let me do um, lead vocals every week. This church is stifling me. I've got to go somewhere else. Uh, And you're probably not going to find anywhere else if that's the case. But in all honesty... Um, this church is designed, we built it from the ground up to where the whole hierarchy is upside down. That the leaders see themselves as under everybody. And if you'll just come to us and talk to us, help us figure out who you are and what makes you tick, we will help you succeed and thrive and do what God has called you to do. We're not just going to beat you over the head and have you do our little pet projects. We really want to find out what makes you tick and what God has in in store for you and make that happen. It's it's called empowerment, okay? That's the way we're, we're trying to be here. And so certainly come to us if you feel like you're being stifled. But if there's ever a time when you just can't use your gifts, I feel like it's okay to go to a new church. Um, and uh, here we got, I think we've got a video for this one as well. It's kind of funny. I'm a PC. What you got there, PC? Oh, this. This is my naughty step. To an errant, unruly child, this is the ultimate deterrent. From what? Unruly errantness. Mucking about with pictures and movies and websites. No, a spell on the naughty step will help them realize that that's not how we treat a proper, grown-up PC, such as myself. That, that's the kind of fun stuff they like, isn't it? You're not serious. 
the naughty step is always serious. That's just kind of the whole point of that to me is I think some churches do not want you to get creative with what it is you want to do um, because it, their structures maybe can't contain that or it creates more work or it's a headache or whatever and there is no naughty step okay so uh, go for it all right last thing here um, when it's okay to go to a new church your context and this is just kind of the catch-all. Uh, if you move to a new city, guess what? You need to go to a new church, right? Um, don't keep like emailing your old church and think that somehow you're going to just stay connected long distance. You got to find a new community to get plugged into. If you get married, that's a huge one. Um, the two kind of leave their families, leave and cleave. They become one, and a lot of times they have to start fresh. And it might be finding a new church that's going to be the church for that family. Now that they're married, not the church that this person grew up in or this person grew up in. And so when you get married is a huge contextual thing in your life when in some sense you go find a new church. If God just wakes you up in the night and shakes you a little bit and says you need to go to a new church, um, I think that's a good reason too. <laughs> just make sure it wasn't because you ate Mexican food. You know, It was really actually God saying you need to go to a new church. Um, and I think those are the things you can pray about and God will make them clear and you're not just running to a church because they've got this killer lead guitarist. Um, or you're running to this church because you just met a girl that week that was really cute and you're single. You know, you're, you're putting some thought into it and you're choosing right reasons for picking a new church. Because it ought to be a commitment when you actually get established in a church. And commitments are not something you break lightly. Next question here. What would Jesus say to the American church? And this is a question I didn't want to answer for obvious reasons. Um, and, uh, and then I got asked it three different times with the exact same phrasing. And I thought, geez, I just think this is really the question that a lot of people are asking is, you know, really when it comes down to it, what would Jesus say? And so if you got your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to try and let, to the best of my ability, Jesus speak for himself here. And Jesus wrote had John, uh, in writing the book of Revelation, write seven letters to seven different churches. And each one of them is specific to that church. And so I'm going to try and pull out some points that I think are relevant to the church in America. And, and hopefully, if there's any error in it, it's all mine. Uh, I think Jesus definitely would have something to say to the American church. Um, so here we go. The first one is this. Uh, I'm talking to you. The message I think he'd start with is I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the whole American church. I'm not talking to your whole church. I'm talking so that you would hear me. You individually with two ears and two eyes that can hear me, that can see me. I'm talking to you because you're a part of this. And you need to realize that. And so um, in Revelation 3.19 he says this, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And a lot of you are in, in churches going, man, my life's all messed up and I don't know why. And, and I think if we realize that Jesus wants to talk to us and is talking to us, that maybe sometimes circumstances in our life are there for a reason. And things get a little bit clearer. Those words are designed for us to realize he's not distant. He's continuously talking to us. And one of the ways he does that is through discipline. It also says at the bottom of every one of these letters, 
He who has an ear, let him hear. To him who overcomes. And in the context here, it's really easy to say to him or her that overcomes. And so at the bottom of each of these things, he's saying, I'm looking for specific people that would hear me. That would, that would understand and be changed and would overcome, that would live this out, that would finish well, that would all these other things. But the point is, I'm talking to specific people and I need you to hear me. And so the first thing is just this. I think Jesus would say, I'm talking to you. And all of these have exclamation points because I think if Jesus was going to say something, he'd pick the things that were emphatic, that were really important to him. And Americans were so intent on wondering if God is for us that sometimes we don't check to see if we're first for God. And I think Jesus would want to look us in the eye and ask us those kinds of questions. The second one is this, the man. Jesus would say this, he would say, stay true to me. Stay true to me. Truth is important. I am the way to the Father. That's very important. Don't stray from that, you're going to get lost. Stay true to me. So a couple different passages, if you'll look with me. In Revelation 2.2, it says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And so they're testing people to find out whether they're really telling the truth, whether they're really preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus affirms them for that. You're not just taking whatever sounds good. You're testing it to make sure it's the gospel. Uh, let's also look at Revelation 2.14. In the church of Pergamum, and it says this, and now he's criticizing a church. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of uh, Balaam and who taught, who taught uh, Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Sword of his mouth, again, is imagery for truth and, and the word of God. And so he's now criticizing this church. You're not staying true to me. You're not weeding out false teaching from correct teaching, and that's not okay. And if you keep going in that direction, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to take care of it. And so in America, what's going on now is, is we do this thing with, just like everything else in culture, there's religious fads that come through. And we can run to one kind of teaching and then run to another kind of teaching as Americans. And whatever's just getting the spotlight or the New York Times bestseller. And, and that's not okay. It's not a popularity thing. Truth isn't a popularity thing. And Jesus would say, if you don't get this right, then, then you're, you're missing it all. It is my gospel that I came, that I suffered, that I died so that you might live. And you need to stay true to that. You need to stay true to me. And a lot of people today will say there's many roads to God. And I'll change that and say, no, there's many roads to Jesus. And it's like this. Um, your house, if you just think of where you live, you can draw a map to your house many different ways, can't you? You can come in the back way. There's lots of different roads that will get you to your house. But ultimately, they all lead to what? The street that your house is on. 
And every map has got to get that part right or it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? And that street is Jesus Christ. And you might, you might find God at a concert or, or, or get awakened at a concert or you know, fear of something that the doctor told you or a friend that starts. There might be a lot of different ways in which you get there. But ultimately, if you're going to get to God, if you're going to get home, Jesus is that final street. And Jesus would stay, he would say, stay true to me. Third thing this is this, this is the mission. Okay, this is what it's all about. And it's your responsibility to grow and finish. It is your, every single one of us, our responsibility to grow and finish. And so let's read a couple verses here. In 2.4 to the church at Ephesus. It says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen, and repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So here's the idea. You started out high, and then you just slowly tapered off. And, and no, this where you were here, up high, that, that's where you're supposed to be. You've slowly just tapered off. That's not okay. Okay. Um, Revelation 2.19 says this. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So there's an affirmational note. You started out here, and now you're doing more. You're loving people. You're, you're living it. You're bearing fruit. You're growing. And that's right. That's the goal. That's what's supposed to be happening. And he affirms that. So if you slide down, that's not okay. If you grow up, affirmation, that's what's supposed to be happening. Chapter 3, verse 12. says this, to him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and never again will he leave it. He will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. The goal here is to grow, but not just to grow for a season, but to finish and to overcome and to complete what has been started. So it's to grow, like we just saw, but it's also now to complete this thing. And I think what happens in America is, is crazy, that we, um, we think that the be-all, end-all is committing my life to Jesus or committing to a local church. And that's the finish line. I committed, and, and now it's over. And as long as I don't kill anyone between now and when I die, hey, that's pretty good. Um, that's not the finish that's the beginning, and, and that's when in the book of Hebrews it would say you're like a little infant baby. When you first really commit to Christ, or really commit to a church, it's your little infant baby, and it's just the beginning. And you're supposed to grow, you're designed to grow, and Jesus wants you to grow. And when we treat it like, okay, I've done my part, I'm coming now, or I signed on the, the dotted line, or, or I, I verbally committed, or that's great, but it's just the beginning. And Jesus would look at every single one of us and say, the goal is that you would grow and that you would finish the race. Listen to what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 23, he says this, I do all this 
for the sake of the gospel. All the suffering, all the hard work. He does all of it for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And they do, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last and forever. Now guys especially are really competitive. Why is it so hard for guys to come to church? Statistics are that over 60% of the people in churches are women. Why is it so hard for guys to come to church? There's nothing competitive about it. I mean, I'll be, I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's, just, it's boring because there's nothing to like, cross off of a to-do list or compete at or like, achieve. And, and we've got to redraw what this is all about. And you should be like sitting there as a guy looking at the guy next to you and say, you know, I'm going to outgrow him. <laughs> you know, he doesn't stand a chance. Uh, I'm going to know way more Bible. I'm going to be doing way more good things. And people are going to look to me and go, wow, there goes a good By the end of this year, and they're going to look at him and go, what's wrong with this guy? He stunted his growth. You know, that's not how I'm going to win. And I, I really think guys need to see it as a race. And you look around and say, you know, I know we're on the same team. This is all Antioch, but you don't stand a chance. Uh, I'm going to beat you. Um, Guys have to realize that there is something big going on here and that we have to throw ourselves at it. And if we do, it yields fruit that could never happen if we didn't commit ourselves to it completely. And so Jesus would say that we have to grow. It's our responsibility to grow and finish. And I think he would begin to talk about it in language that would, that would kind of like stir the embers in guys' hearts as well as girls' hearts that would fan us into flame and get us excited about this race that we're running. You know, you start seeing, like, competition. You know, you see the TV. And you start, like, calling it names like Satan and stuff, you know. I'm not going to let you get me, you know. I'm going to grow spiritually, and everything becomes competitive. Uh, maybe you're not like me, but um, I don't know. All right, uh, the means. How do we run at this race? I think Jesus would say this, and I think he would just camp on it. You can't play both games. You cannot play both games. So this this thing called the spiritual life and being a Christian, and this thing like called being in the world and succeeding, you cannot play both those games. They're mutually incompatible. To win at life, to be successful, uh, and to be this great individual that's revered and you've got everything you need, is to lose in the spiritual world. What did Jesus say? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard for a rich man. You know, that's not how you win in this world. It's how you win. And to win in this world, like Jesus' Jesus's thing is all about surrender and humility. And being poor in spirit, and sacrificing, and allowing yourself to be wronged and taken advantage of, and serving others, and getting dirty and getting no recognition for it. And so if you win at that game, you necessarily lose at this game. Does that make sense? And we don't get that. As Americans, we just, it's America. It's land of opportunity. I can win at both games. Why not? 
Um, but Jesus would say you can't win at both games. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 15. And he says this to the church at Laodicea. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. And then he goes on and says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Do you get what he's saying there? Most of the world lives on $2 a day. Do we really realize how much we have at our disposal? Or what ought to be expected of us? Do we really realize how spiritually bankrupt we must be to go through it? And I'm talking about myself here, okay? And you ask my wife, she'll tell you, yeah, Ken's messy. Um... I complain about money all the time. I complain about what other people have. All I envy and jealousy. And I keep I do the game where man if I could just buy this thing. Like the other day I was in um in Costco and they had that iJoy chair, you know, that massages your back. And I really almost had myself talked into thinking that that was a health purchase. Um <laughs> that I needed for my ch- children's benefit, you know, and and all, it it would I didn't buy it. Um, I'm pitiful. All I see is the lack and the things I need and what I want. and all. I'm going to leverage all my resources to get what I want. And I don't realize I am so wealthy in the world sense, yet so bankrupt spiritually. That if I just put just as much energy into working for other people or, or just submitting to God and saying, man, it's not the, there's not good in me. You know, God, you're the one that's growing me and you get the credit. You know, the humility. God will exalt the humble. I've, it's not that I'm lacking on this side. I think Jesus would say you can't play both games. Let's look again in Revelations 3, 1 through 3. We already read it, but um, I know your deeds and you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of the Lord. If we're trying to get rich and trying to succeed and populate the world standard, we're not going to have enough time or energy to commit to doing the kinds of deeds that God has called us to do. And so if we don't just outright say, you know what, I'm not going to play that game. I might be tempted. I might have to call myself back, and I might need to get some friends that can challenge me, but I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to play this game, and I'm going to win at this one. And if I'm in the middle, I'm going to lose at both, obviously. I, I tell Christians that are like lukewarm Christians that I pity them more than anyone else. It's like, you know, if you were just an out-and-out sinner, at least you'd have that. <laughs> You'd have something you could enjoy. I mean, it might not satisfy you, but at least you'd have something, right? 
you know, and, and if you were a Christian, you'd have what I think really counts and what really satisfies. You'd have that. But you're like in no man's land. What a waste. That's where I was in college. You know, it's, it's stupid. You know, pick one side or the other at least. Um, okay, so Jesus would say you can't play both games. Uh, Americans, here's the, the quote I put on the board for you. When we talk mission, what we're supposed to do in life, we naturally start thinking about taking and winning, not giving and losing. If we're going to win at Jesus' game, we win by giving and losing. What did Jesus say? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Okay. Last thing here is, I think he'd say this to a lot of churches. And I think, I put an asterisk by it. I don't know if the asterisk comes up on the PowerPoint. Um, but I put an asterisk by this, because I think if Jesus said this to a church, it'd be the only thing that he said to that church. And I get that just uh, from the church of Smyrna. And if you look at, um, in verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, here's the thing. Stand fast and be encouraged. Stand fast and be encouraged. Listen to this little letter he writes to Smyrna. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. 10 is a symbolic number for like a complete number. So it's either literal or symbolic. Um, but be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears, let him hear. Stand fast and be encouraged. I think you just look at some of these churches in America. They're just getting beat left and right. And the leaders are doing all they can do. They can't do any more than, than what they're already doing. And I think Jesus wouldn't give him any advice other than, you know what, just stand fast. It's like it reminds me of Forrest Gump when uh, Lieutenant Dan was strapped to the mast in that big storm, you know, and, and he's like, you know, hollering and, and he just had himself strapped in for the whole night. You know, it's like stand fast. It's a storm, just strap in, ride it out. Um, and I think Jesus would encourage the church. I think he'd say stand fast and be encouraged. I think we need to say that to some churches more often too. So here's the last question. Is it possible to have a quality church to actually do it right? So I paraphrase that kind of as, what can Antioch do? What can Antioch do? And here's the thing I've got to just tell you first off. Revelation 3, verse 7 and 8. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I think we need to realize that this thing was designed to win. And so that needs to frame this whole discussion of what we can do. Okay? The church is a vehicle designed to finish what it was set out to do. It's not a sinking ship. And there's a lot of things I'd want to tell you about my plans at Antioch, things I think we can do. I want an intellectual church because, I mean, we really need a place where we can just be grounded and know that what we're being taught is credible. Okay, we need that in our culture. And so I kind of have this 
I love the idea of having an intellectual church and a lot of things going on. I want a church with interns just busting out of the seams. I've got this idea of having what I call Antioch monasteries all over Bend. Little houses or apartments that have been made available either at a subsidized rate or free so that single people can gather there and live. And those basically become where ministry happens. I don't think Antioch's ever going to be a city on a hill church. We're never going to have west side facilities. I think in some sense that day and age is gone. The people don't even like that anymore. It's got a weird vibe to it to always be going to that building. I like the approach of yeast and seeing Bend is like having all these little things and these little modest little houses and ministry is happening at each of them. And at each of those places, there's ownership. No one takes ownership of a church building. It's just a church building. But if you put people in houses and they're bringing people in and doing ministry there, there's ownership in it. I'd love to get one of those houses and just put starving artists in it and say, if you're a legitimate enough, legitimate enough artist to make a living on this, we're going to give you a year free rent to get your thing going. The garage is a studio. There's like three of you living here. And then next year we're going to try and find three more. But just think what, of a, what a blessing that would be to artists and how they would in turn bless the church back. And what I, how I came up with that idea is we read a book for the History Book Club, and I began, it was called How the Western Church Built, How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization, and it should have just been How the Church Built Western Civilization. But almost everything, even uh, the brewing of beer and making of wine, um, orphanages, compassion ministries, all of these, th- all of these things were, were guarded and, and kind of brought along by single people. Monks and nuns living in monasteries. And I thought, you know, it's amazing because single people have a lot of free time and a lot of energy. Um, And couldn't we just create these little monasteries where college kids and singles are living there and maybe not um, working on winemaking, but, um, you know, doing ministry together. So if you've got a place that you'd be like, hey, we could work out a tax break here and I'd like to offer up this apartment or this house. We've already got one place like that. I'd love to have many more. Come talk to me. Uh, But here's the two things I want to camp on. First one is this. If we're going to change things, we need to learn to not make fun of the bride of Christ. The church is not your mother. It's not your sister. It's the bride of Christ. And we cut jokes, and it's acceptable. And I do it too. And at some point, we need to realize and say, enough's enough. Okay, a joke here and there is okay, but this is the bride of Christ. And Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar. Mark Antony takes the dead body of Julius Caesar after he's been stabbed by the Senate, and he brings it out in front of the Roman people, and he's going through it. Shakespeare has him going through, talking about a rip in his cloak and a a piercing here, and he's attributing it to different members of the Senate. And then he gets to his throat, where where the, the, the big stroke kind of was. And he said, and here is the unkindest cut of all. Here is where Brutus betrayed Caesar. And I think, was it Brute or Brutus? I don't know. It's Brutus to me. Um, that's where he betrayed Caesar. And I think sometimes you guys know the feeling when you're, when you're making fun of somebody or a group is making fun of someone you know. And it's kind of ha, ha, ha. And all of a sudden you jump in and say something and the person just looks at you and they're just hurt. 
and your comment was the most unkindest cut of all because you were the one that they were thinking was going to stick up for them and defend them and come to their aid. And we Christians need to realize that when we bag on the church, it's the most unkindest cut of all. And if we can't cherish and talk well of the church, how is anyone outside the church going to want to ever come to church? I mean, logically. And we're making fun of the church because they're making fun of the church. Well, how ridiculous is that? Let's start talking well of the church and maybe they'll follow us and have a different paradigm for it. So we need to stop making fun of the bride of Christ. And then we need to take the promised land. Here's the vision of Antioch. In my mind, how can we be different? I think we just need to step up and take the promised land. Remember that? The promised land was offered. The spies go in and they, they, they don't, um, they get chased off because of fears and all these other concerns and they just get lackluster. And they don't seize what is rightfully there. Jesus put before us a door that cannot be shut. We need to rally and say, you know what? If that's the case, let's get engaged in this thing and not be sitting on our heels. I've got a video I want to show you. Show me something. Ten yards. Move it. Move it. Let's go. Let's go, Matt. Let's go. Go, Jonathan. Show me something. Ten yards. Show me some power. No knees. Keep your knees off the ground. Show me something. There we go. Ten yards. Show me some muscle. Show me some power. Give me some heart. Let's go. Very good, boy. Very good. Let's run it back. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. 50. I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. <laughs> Get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left, a little bit left. There you go. It's going to be good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left, a little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. 
Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. About strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your best. Don't quit! No! Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't quit! Rock Kelly, you don't quit! Keep going! Keep going! No, Rock Kelly! You don't quit on me! No! You keep going! You keep going! No, Rock! Ten more steps! Ten more! Ten more! Ten more! Keep going! Don't quit! Give me your heart! You can! You can! Five more! Come on, Brock! Come on! Don't quit! Don't quit! Come on, Brock! Two more! One more! Oh. Let's go to the 50! Let's go to the 50! Oh, how many more? Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. start coming off if you guys can what if um i i've i've been planning on planting a church since 1997 my wife married into it this is a decade now all i've dreamed about is the possibility of what if 50 people just got serious about the kingdom and making a church that will do what it could do. Behold, I, I have before you a door that is open that no one can shut. What would happen if 50 people just believed? I mean, you guys know what's possible. Americans were resourceful. You know the gifts you've got. You know the leadership skills you've got. You know the resources. You know that if you really dialed into something, what you can do, the impact you can make. What would happen if you and 50 others really decided to say yes to God and do it? To take the promised land, what's, what's in front of you that's been promised to you. So here's the bigger question. When Joshua finally went in and took the promised land and they were at Jericho, what happened? God did it, right? 
Just like he said, I will build the church. Okay, God did it. He dropped Jericho. How did he drop Jericho? The whole tribe, after circling all these days in unison together, finally in unison shouted out loud, verbally. What would happen if not just 50 people, but if this church in unison together all committed to making this church what it could be? You guys know what could happen. It's not that hard to imagine it. All it takes is is us believing that we can do it, not sitting on the sidelines already writing off Friday night as a loss, but getting it into our heads that this would be absolutely amazing. A hundred people hitting the door a hundred different times solo never goes anywhere. That's the church in America. Take those same hundred people and you send them at that door together, just bust right through it. Why are we frustrated? Because we get hot and nobody else is, so we get cold. Somebody else gets hot, no one else is, so they get cold. We hit the door, we fall back, we become disillusioned. My dream for 10 years is a church where everybody would hit the door at the same time. Where we would all go out in the bend and actually live it. And start grabbing people and saying, you're going to come here with me. I don't care if you say no. I'll kidnap you. I know Big Jake over here. He'll come into your house. You'll get scared, you know. What if? I just ask you to pray with me. What if? To dream with me. What could be? And if you're willing to just sell out, to be in this world, in this game, and try and win at it, just let me know somehow. I'll find the time to get you connected. Let's go ahead and pray, and and then we're going to take the offering. Father, God, please make the world's game dry in our mouth. Make it just be like trying to suck satisfaction out of dirt. Just that we would just be repelled by it and give up on it and want to be where you would have us be growing and pressing on. And I just pray somehow that you would raise up the leaders in this church to create a dynamic movement that could show the world, that could show Central Oregon something it hasn't seen. God, only you can do it. And we pray this in Christ's name.